0: But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness.
1: We did not put a highlight of the welcome team next to Matthew chapter 7 on purpose, although it all fits together in Jesus. But I think it's fair to say that listening to Jesus' words that Greg just read probably gets your attention. Jesus has had some bold things to say throughout the sermon on the mount remember some of what he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Do not resist the one who is evil But if one slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also." Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And on and on and on. And here's what I want to highlight about this. As Jesus teaches us what citizenship in the kingdom of heaven looks like, He's not joking. He's not messing around. He's not just giving us nice little tips that might improve your life a little bit and make it a little more comfortable or a little bit higher on the happiness scale than it was yesterday. Jesus is talking about something that is urgently serious. And to underscore the seriousness of what he has been talking about as he draws near to the conclusion of this, of this most famous sermon that he preached, the Sermon on the Mount, he gives these words of direction. Enter by the narrow gate. He doesn't pretend that this is what everybody does. He doesn't pretend that this is the path you'll follow if you just keep drifting along and doing whatever your heart desires. Instead, Jesus describes the way as a narrow gate. And he directs us enter by the narrow gate. We don't love that because we don't love the word narrow, do we? To be narrow-minded, not a compliment. To be narrow in your views, not popular. To tell others that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven requires entering a narrow gateway. This is a hard word. And we need to wrestle a little bit with what does it mean to enter by the narrow gate? How would we do that? What would that mean? How would we know if we have? At the simplest level, if I were talking with kids, and I know there are kids here today listening to this heavy passage being preached... And if a kid were to say, what does it mean to enter the kingdom of heaven by the narrow gate? I would say at the simplest level, it means drawing near to God or knowing God by trusting in Jesus. And Jesus himself essentially said as much, more than once. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the father. Except through me. Or again. Jesus says truly truly. I say to you. I am the door. In other words he's saying. He's the way. I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me. He will be saved. And he will go in and out. And find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus reassures us. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So our first answer about what it means to enter by the narrow gate has to include the idea that there is no gateway apart from Jesus. He is our access to knowing God. He is our passport to the kingdom of heaven. It's by being united with Him that we join the kingdom of heaven. And yet... Something more can be said. I mean, Jesus himself promised us that that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. That's the simplest version of explaining how we gain access to eternal life and the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus himself who told us whoever believes in me will have eternal life also gave us these tests. Or gave us these ways of evaluating if we're on that trajectory or not. You see, our response to the teaching of Jesus indicates whether or not we have truly entered the kingdom of heaven. Not in the sense that we can live righteously enough from here on out in order to earn our way into heaven. It's not that. But the righteousness and integrity of our lives can be an important indicator that we now belong to the kingdom of Jesus. That we're serving Him as our Lord. There's no point in saying, I believe in Jesus, if we're not following him with our lives. And in light of that idea, Jesus calls us to enter by the narrow gates, which of course is a call to faith in Jesus Christ and to repentance and following him. He calls us to trust in him and to follow him, to enter by the narrow gate. And then he warns us about three dangers, three dangers that we should watch out for as we seek to take his teaching seriously and as we seek to enter the kingdom of heaven by the narrow gate. We'll pay attention to those three dangers as we ask this important question How do we enter by the narrow gate? How do we enter? How do we do that? He warns us of three dangers to stay away from. To enter by the narrow gate, we need to be aware, first of all, of the danger of the easy way. You see that in verses 13 and 14, right? Look with me if you would again. Enter by the narrow gate. And then there's this contrast for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. These hard words of Jesus come to us in kind of a contrast which gives us two different pictures. On the one hand, there are Two different gateways. You can imagine an ancient Middle Eastern city with giant, a giant archway in the walls around the city through which you can enter in. And Jesus is saying there is on the one hand a city with a huge wide looking gateway. It's so wide that you can bring with you any baggage you want. You don't have to leave anything behind in order to get through that gateway. It seems that Jesus is describing an invitation to life, an invitation to what truly matters in such a way that you can enter and you won't even need to repent of anything. You can enter and you won't even need to say no to anything that your heart likes. You can enter and you don't have to leave behind anything that represents your old life before you entered that archway. On the other hand is a city whose gateway is described as narrow. You can't fit anything and everything through this gateway according to Jesus. There are some things that will have to be left behind, forsaken, and repented of. In addition to describing two gateways, there are two pathways beyond these two gates. There's a whole pathway. It's not just about how to make a decision for Jesus, it's about how to walk a whole journey with Jesus. And there are these two portrayals. Through the wide gateway, notice what comes next. There's a way or a highway or a road or a whole path for journeying that looks easy. You look ahead and you think, I get to just do what I feel like doing? Sure. Sign me up. Through the narrow gateway, it looks hard, it looks challenging. And perhaps this, shouldn't sur- perhaps this shouldn't surprise us given what, given what Jesus himself teaches about what it means to follow him. There's a famous teaching of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 that says, If anyone would come after me, if anyone believes in me and is going to follow me, let him deny himself. And we live in a world that says, Fulfill yourself. You got longings? Fulfill them. Jesus, in this world that says fulfill your desires, Jesus says, don't live just to fulfill yourself. You'll find life actually by denying yourself. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. It's an instrument of execution. In other words, this picture that Jesus paints suggests that when we enter by the narrow way and have to leave some things behind, and then we keep on going in the journey from where we stand now, kind of looking through that narrow gateway and trying to figure out where the pathway leads, it looks hard. It looks like some days it might feel like dying to myself. Some days it's going to feel like dying to my desires. Jesus warns us very clearly there are two different paths. And one of them, it has kind of a narrow gate. You can't just take anything through. And the way it looks challenging, it's going to feel like taking up your cross and following our Lord who himself suffered first and then entered his glory. And on the other hand, there's this road with this wide open gate. You don't have to leave anything behind. It looks as easy as far as the eye can see. But do you notice that Jesus has a surprise ending to this little picture? At this point, we kind of expect narrow gate, hard way, hard destination. Wide gate, easy way, happy destination. Jesus tells us looks can be deceiving. Jesus warns us that what we perceive about our trajectory in life, about our fundamental decisions of who we're following and what we're doing with our lives, what we perceive about that can sometimes be badly mistaken. In fact, Jesus warns us, the gate is wide and it looks easy. But do you see what it leads to? Destruction. So Jesus warns us in very clear terms. He warns us to enter by the narrow gate. And he warns us to do so because of the danger of the easy path. It looks good for now, but Jesus reveals to us it ends in destruction. And so he tells us, watch out. And since we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus with our lives, I'm not going to dwell on this too long, but since we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus with our lives, let me just do like a quick check-in with you for a second. I appreciate some of the things that, that were shared earlier. Are there some aspects of following Jesus that you've just decided, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather take the easier-looking path? Do you know what that feels like? To hear Jesus' teachings about giving generously and yet to kind of say the other path of keeping my money for myself looks a lot easier. Or to hear Jesus' teachings about loving your enemy and yet to say it feels easier to just go along with what my tribe does, hating other tribes, calling them the enemy, name calling, pigeonholing. Treating them like enemies. It looks like the easy path. And yet Jesus warns us the end of following that way, which looks so easy to get into and so easy to follow, it ends in destruction. He's calling us to be alert to this. He also warns us of a second danger that we need to watch out for in order to enter by the narrow gate. He also warns us of the danger of false prophets. This comes up in verses 15 through 20. He says, Beware of false prophets, which implies that there are such things as false teachers. There are people Who will speak to you boldly and confidently and clearly and maybe compellingly and yet falsely. And Jesus, the good shepherd, cares so much about his sheep for whom he laid down his life. He cares so much about his sheep that he's constantly vigilant To keep out wolves that would get in among the flock of sheep and do destruction. In the ancient world, sheep were valued creatures. And sheep were also understood to be very vulnerable. Very susceptible to being attacked by wolves or other wild creatures wandering around in the wilderness. So Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd, and he warns us, if you're one of my sheep, watch out. Because there will be people who will put on sheep's clothing. What does that mean? It means talking the talk like we talk. Talking about the things we like to talk about. Hanging out with us in our gatherings. Probably, if they're like the Pharisees, quoting from the Bible even, probably, if they're like the Pharisees, teaching some or many things that are good, Probably, if they're like the Pharisees, standing up for good family values, and standing up for justice in society, and standing up for many of the things that we want to stand up for, and yet Jesus warns there will be False teachers like the Pharisees who will hang out with you and talk your language and get into the things you're interested in and might look like they're quoting the Bible and look like they're standing up for righteousness sake and look like they're standing up for the things you want to stand up for. But watch out because some of those folks are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're there to harm the sheep. They've put on the fleece of a sheep, the outward facade, the exterior of quoting the Bible and using religious language and talking about moral kinds of things. They put that thing on as a facade, but the result will be damage to the people for whom Jesus gave his life. And how would we know the difference? Now, I think if you're kind of If you think like me, let me put it that way. Probably our first way to answer the question, how do you spot a false teacher, is to say, listen for bad teaching, right? Listen for stuff that is doctrinally false. Look for stuff that is untrue. Check if they are studying the scriptures accurately, and when they quote the Bible, see if they're quoting the Bible the way the Bible itself wants to be quoted. These are good answers, but notice that Jesus takes us in kind of another direction. Jesus, of course, believes that there are such things as false teachers who are false because they're teaching wrong doctrines. But there are also false teachers who, like the Pharisees around Jesus in his day, can quote Bible verses to you and can do religious stuff and can hang out with all the religious people And yet do it only as a facade, all the while harming others, right? And Jesus' test for finding them is not only to say, did they say something false? What's Jesus' test? Look with me, if you would, at verse uh, 16. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Jesus' test for false teachers is not just did they say something that shows up on our doctrinal exam as false. Jesus says, look at the fruit. Look at the result. See what's coming up as a result of their teaching. Later in the New Testament, we'll hear a description of fruit that goes along with the Spirit of God. Love and joy and peace. And patience, and goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. And Jesus says, look for those kinds of fruits. And you'll know that that is a good teacher. But when you see the opposite of love for other people, or you see the opposite of joy, or you see the opposite of peace, or you see the opposite of patience, even though they might be saying, oh, I've got Bible verses for you, watch out. There's a high likelihood that that is a wolf dressed up like a sheep. In fact, one Pharisee himself, once named Saul and later named Paul, seemed to get this issue that it's possible to know things about God and yet be walking directly in contradiction to God's ways. Paul, who was once a Pharisee and became a follower of Jesus, describes something really important like this. He says in the first person, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Wow. (laughs) If I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You hear the rhythm of what Paul is saying. You can have all kinds of spiritual gifts. You can have all kinds of knowledge and insight. You can see dramatic miracles happen in somebody's ministry. You can see them make huge sacrifices for the sake of the poor and the oppressed in their community. But if there's not genuine love in their life, Paul says, here's how we as Christians evaluate that teacher. Nothing in the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean we're dismissive and mean and cruel to them, but it means we need to be on guard, watching out, not just with the kind of doctrinal test to say, do you measure up to my doctrinal standards? But with the fruit test, what's growing out of that teacher's life? Listen, I think this is as important as ever in, in in kind of our era when it is so easy to listen to like a hundred different teachers on a hundred different days. We've got podcasts, we've got internet, we've got uh, we've got podcasts, we've got videos that we can watch on YouTube. Um, we've got things that we can read online. We've got social media posts here and there, and it's so easy to grab on to little bits of things and say, I know that that's true. And so I'm going all in on that thing. But there's an important warning here from Jesus that we need as much as ever in our information age. Something more than information characterizes godly teachers in the kingdom of God. It's fruit. Fruit that looks like greater love, greater joy. Greater peace, greater patience, greater gentleness, greater self-control. And when the opposite of those is spinning out of someone's ministry, whether it's a Facebook ministry or a YouTube ministry or a podcast ministry or somebody in your small group or on and on, Jesus says, watch out. Watch out for that kind of danger of false teaching, which might have some knowledge, which might be able to point to the Bible, which might have some morals attached to it. And yet might have bad fruit growing up as a result. Watch out for that kind of thing in order to enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says. And then there's a third danger that Jesus draws our attention to. It's the danger of lip service, we might say. If that second danger, the danger of false teachers, says watch out for others who might influence you and pull you away from following Jesus, Jesus also says watch out for your own heart. Watch out in your own life because there's a dangerous possibility of just paying lip service, just saying the things and going through the motions and doing the stuff yourself. All the while not following Jesus. Here's how Jesus puts it. Not everyone. (laughs) Those words are hard. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. These are hard words because what Jesus is painting a picture of is somebody who can give an orthodox creedal confession. Jesus is Lord. Amen? But apparently it's possible to give an orthodox creedal confession and yet just be paying lip service. Jesus is painting a picture, furthermore, of people who have experienced zeal in their lives zeal maybe even to use spiritual gifts and to do stuff that might be called prophecy Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name people who may have even done dramatic works of ministry did we not cast out demons in your name did we not do mighty works in your name Jesus says it's possible to give an orthodox creedal confession and just be paying lip service he also says it's possible to be full of zeal and yet just be paying lip service. This stuff gets personal, I, I know, because it's personal for me. Um, maybe some of you know a little bit about this, but when I was in high school, um, uh, like my last couple years of high school, I played in a Christian rock and roll band. So sometimes when people hear that, they're like, so you used to be cool? Cool. And I'm like, there's nothing used to be about it. I used to play in a Christian rock and roll band with some guys who were like college age or in their 20s. They were legit cool, and I did legit feel cool hanging out with them and playing gigs with them. All I, like We traveled around Southern California and Mexico and stuff, and um, it was fun. I had a ton of fun with these guys. They were awesome one of my closest friends in that band and one of my closest friends in that part of my life, one of the guys who influenced my spiritual development the most in those years was a guy who was zealous for God. I mean, the guy would like talk to anybody about Jesus. The guy was passionate in prayer. i mean, like, if you had a prayer meeting and he was there, like it was, it was lit, right? It was on fire. I mean, he'd get everybody stirred up in prayer. He taught me so much about spiritual gifts. He taught me so much about following the Lord with zeal in my high school years and not just following the crowds. And then I went away to college out here and um, came back after, I think, a year. And the next time I saw him, um, he was in a federal penitentiary for being arrested, for traveling federal quantities of heroin. Now, let me pause on a few details here because I love the dude. Like, you know, there's a lot of factors that can go into that. I don't know how much he was living a double life. I don't know if that was like one mistake that he made, but it was all genuine otherwise, or if this was really like, He was doing all this stuff just for pretends while living a double life knowing it. I mean, I don't know that. And I want to add, even if he was living a total double life at that point, I still don't know the end of his story, right? There's tons of hope. And when I think of him, I I pray for him. And I I actually really hope we get to talk again someday. But here's here's what I bring that up for it was like shockwaves in my soul when i found that out shockwaves in my soul when i talked with him and learned about the double life he was living at least for a time it was like shockwaves it was like shaking for me to realize that somebody i loved so deeply Somebody who could talk so boldly about Jesus. Somebody who had so much spiritual zeal. Somebody who loved prayer and worship so much. Somebody who influenced so many other people to be passionate for God and godliness. How on earth can he be living such a double life? And Jesus says, you need to know this if you're going to follow me and keep on following me. Not everyone not everybody who starts out saying, Lord, Lord, will make it. You're going to need to know that, Jesus says. And he says that not mainly so that like I can judge my friends from high school. He says that mainly to wake me up. Mainly to wake us up. Mainly to say, if it's possible for people like that to do this stuff over and over, to influence others, to pray, to worship, to be there, to talk about Jesus, and yet be living a double life, watch out. Be careful for the danger of lip service in your own life, Jesus says. Be careful to make sure that you are entering by the narrow gate. Because not everyone. Not everybody who has an orthodox profession. Not everybody who's sung the songs. Not everybody who's been at the gatherings. Not everybody who's influenced others. I mean, what are you going to point to? Jesus is going to say, not everyone. Why? Because there are some who do those things outwardly, and yet Jesus says of them, I don't know you. To live on the exterior as if you're doing all those things. And then to come to Jesus and say, look at everything I did for you. And then Jesus says, I didn't even know you. You were doing that all for yourself, weren't you? It's sobering. It's eye-opening. And it should challenge each of us to take care that we are entering by the narrow gate to be aware of the dangers that would pull us away from the path of following Jesus. It's a warning for us. You see, if we're going to enter by the narrow gate, we need to be aware of these dangers that Jesus points us toward. But watch this transition here. If we're going to enter by the narrow gate, we need to be aware of the dangers that Jesus warns us of. We also need to know the promise that Jesus gives us. We need to be aware of the dangers, but we also need to cherish the promise. Where is the promise? I skipped over it earlier. Maybe some of you noticed. It's back there in verses 13 and 14. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to a surprise destination, destruction. And the gate looks narrow compared to all of the baggage that we bring with us. And the way looks hard from where we stand that leads to what? It leads to life. You see, this way that looks so narrow that calls us to repent of sin and to leave some things behind and to make sacrifices in the course of what? In the course of finding that which is truly life, Jesus says. Jesus isn't calling us to follow Him on a hard road simply because He likes people doing hard things. He's calling us to do so because this is the path that leads truly to life and to life abundantly forevermore with him. You know, John Newton, you may not know that name. Uh, You may never have read his sermons, but you've sung his song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, right? John Newton wrote those words as somebody who lived his life as a Christian, amazed by God's grace toward him. And one time he said this, he said, If I ever reach heaven, I expect to find three different wonders there. First, to meet some I had not thought to see there. (laughs) Why? Because God's ways are not our ways. His mercy is not our mercy. Second, to miss some I had thought to see there. Because not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. But third, and John Newton adds, I think, with a certain kind of humility in his heart, perhaps tears in his eyes, singing of amazing grace, as it were, the greatest wonder of all, to find myself there. What a wonder that will be. You see, in order to enter by the narrow gate, we need to know that there are warnings about things that can pull us away from following Jesus. The easy path that looks so much easier. False teachers who promise so much and yet are out to destroy the danger of just lip service and going through the motions without a heart that actually knows and follows Jesus. Jesus warns us about these dangers, but he also, and he also motivates us with his promise. As we enter by that narrow door, and as we follow our glorious Savior in the pathway, which goes like this. First the cross and then the crown. As we follow him on that pathway, we will discover life and life abundantly. In fact, there might be some here today who are hearing Jesus' warnings about the dangers. And I know there are some Christians with soft and sensitive consciences. And any time you hear Jesus' warning about the, the danger of being fake, you're just like, oh, shoot, I might as well quit. But listen, I want to remind you, Jesus who warns us about the dangers of being fake also promises us about life in his name. And if your heart is softened by the challenging conviction of Jesus' words that some will be fake, that some will be pulled away by false teachers, that some will stray down other paths that look easier, if your heart is weighed down by that, if you're feeling the conviction of that, let me bring you back to the good news of Jesus Christ who promises life and life abundantly in His name. Listen, the book of Matthew tells us about the Sermon on the Mount which we've been listening to all summer long. And like the summer itself, the Sermon on the Mount is about to end. But the book of Matthew doesn't end with the end of the book with the end of the Sermon on the Mount, does it? Because the Sermon on the Mount is not the story itself. It tells us about the way of what it means to be a person who lives in the kingdom of heaven. But the book of Matthew is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, who calls us to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and who lays down his own life for the sheep. And later on in the book of Matthew, we'll read about that day when Jesus laid down his life as a sacrifice once for all time for those who draw near to God through him. And on that day, do you know what happened? When Jesus Christ gave His life as a sacrifice for our sins, there was in the temple in Jerusalem a thick cloth, a thick curtain that represented a separation between God and God's people. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, do you know what happened? That curtain was torn in two. And the way was made open. So that countless millions like you and me might draw near to God. Not saying, look how well I followed the Sermon on the Mount. So that we might walk the whole path and one day enter the joy of our Master forevermore. Saying, amazing grace, how sweet the sound Saved a wretch like me. Saying worthy. Is the lamb. Who was slain. Listen. The gateway is narrow. It requires leaving some things behind. The pathway does not promise to be easy. Some days it will feel like taking up our cross. But the reward The reward is guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ to be life and life abundantly for all who are united with Him. And so here's my question. Will you enter by that gate? I'd like to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward. These are heavy words that we hear from Jesus They're hard to digest, they're hard to grapple with, they bring some conviction, they bring some challenges, they in some ways weigh down our hearts, and so as much as ever we need this meal of grace, this moment to dine with Jesus himself. This moment of communion with our dear Lord and Savior, who not only gave his life for us in the past, but set up a meal for us to take in glad-hearted remembrance of all that he's done to pay all that is necessary as a sacrifice for our sins. We take this bread and this cup as a remembrance of his sacrifice for us, which has opened a way. Which has made it possible for us to recognize the way is narrow. But praise God, there is a way. Praise God, there's a way for us. There's a way for you and there's a way for me. Praise his name. If you're here with us today and you're not following Jesus as your Lord, we'll ask you to hang out where you are for a minute. We'll take the Lord's Supper. You can just take a moment of peace and quiet. How often do we have a moment to just reflect quietly in the busy pace of the culture that we live in? You can just kind of hang out. We'll close with a closing song in a minute. But if that's you and you're not following Jesus, we would love to invite you even today to enter by the narrow gate so that you might find life and life abundantly through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. We'd love to invite you even today to come to enter through the narrow gate of faith and repentance in Jesus. And at this time, for all who live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, you may come in glad-hearted remembrance of our great Redeemer. You may come.